Welcome back to The Full Count with Bruce Dobigan. I'm Bruce Dobigan, and this is where curiosity leads me. If you enjoy these podcasts, do go to iTunes, look under Not the Public Podcast, and subscribe. We're also available on a number of your other favorite platforms. If anyone was expecting the Trump presidency to settle down, well, they've been disabused of that notion by now. The nonstop attempts of his pursuers to trap Trump have only gotten more fevered as the second year of Trump's term has unfolded. His supporters point to a vibrant economy, his two Supreme Court nominees, his progress with North Korea, rollbacks of Obama overreach, and most of all, the revelations that people inside the government talked openly of undermining his election. Trump's enemies, of course, they point to his chaos at the border, the turbulent management style, his refusal to put distance between himself and Vladimir Putin, his exaggerations, and now his tariff wars with friends and rivals in the world. One thing is clear, no one has changed anyone else's mind since the day Trump shocked the world in 2016 with his election. Following it all up close and personal is Deborah Saunders, a longtime columnist and reporter who's the White House correspondent with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Her work appears across America with the Creators Syndicate outlet. She joined us in year one on the Full Count with Bruce Dobigan to talk Trump, and we're happy to have her back from her office in Washington, D.C. Welcome back. Hi, Bruce. I have to yes, get a reaction it's sort to of a long night's... day. Yeah, oh, I bet. I have to get a reaction to, to, to the Trump nominating Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. Uh, what does this mean for the balance on the panel? And, and, and should the Dems fight this thing as hard as they seem to be fighting it? Well, I, they don't have a choice but to fight it because they're in this corner in p- partially of their own making. The thing is, they're not just as Republicans didn't want to vote on Merrick Garland last year and, and, and make the court go from conservative to liberal majority, they don't want to see – they don't want Anthony Kennedy, the swing vote on the court, uh, to be replaced with a conservative. So they're going to fight it. Um, I don't think they're going to succeed, but they are going to fight it. And you never know, right? I don't, mm-hmm. But – Here's the thing. You're so right to point this out. Brett Kavanaugh is just one of those guys with incredible uh, credentials. They're just impeccable. And uh, he's the kind of jurist that 20 years ago would have gotten a – or 30 years ago would have gotten a, a an unquestionable majority vote because of those credentials. Uh, but these days, it's left and right, and that's that's how they're going to look at it. Not to belabor it too long, but is there a downside to the Democrats fighting this too hard when we're talking about midterms? That's a great – thank you. Thank you. That's a great question because there are three um, Democratic senators who are running for re-election this year, and they're from states that Trump won handily. And that's Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Heidi Heitkamp of North uh, Dakota, and Joe Donnelly of Indiana. So these two, three guys are just in a, between a rock and a hard place. And also, you can add into the mix Doug Jones, who won in Alabama after Neil Gorsuch was, was confirmed. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, this is going to be an issue where uh, liber- you know, liberals are going to be really pushing them to stay on the Democratic camp and not stray. And Republicans see this as a chance to help uh, Republican candidates beat the incumbents and also pressure or pressure the Democrats into 
voting for this nominee. And this is going to change the courts. I mean, this is this is the legacy that Trump promised people and the reason why a number of Republicans who had questions about him decided that they were going to vote for Donald Trump. And I'm sure if somehow he gets a second term or even in the next two years, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, shuffles off her mortal coil, uh, the third uh, Supreme Court nomination will pr provide even more nuclear uh, attacks, I'm sure, on him. Boy, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to watch how Trump is playing this because he's being incredibly careful. Uh, as you know, he's not always the most careful person. He likes to wing certain things, really? talk off the cuff, <laughs> meet world leaders from hostile countries one-on-one, -on -one, things like that. But on this, he has just been brilliant. Um, some Democrats criticized the way that uh, Trump in 2016 went to the Federal Society and Heritage Foundation and said, Help, help me pick a great group of judges. But in, in doing so, he, guaranteed, he showed, again, Republicans that, yes, I really will pick a conservative. I'm not going to pick a David Souter for the court. But he also showed that um, th there weren't going to be any wild cards. We weren't going to have somebody testify, and he was going to embarrass uh, Republican voters, in, especially in purplish states. Yeah. Uh, in my introduction, I talked a little bit about the pros and cons. Obviously, there's defenses of him, and then there are attacks on Mr. Trump. In spite of all of the resistance, all of the noise, Trump's polling numbers have stayed pretty steady. He's up just a little below 45% from being as low as 36% at one time. To, to what do you attribute that? I think a number of people... Uh, in fact, this is funny. The New York Times had an interesting story last week about people who maybe didn't even vote for Trump or did so reluctantly, but they keep finding themselves defending him because the, the attacks against him are so unfair. <laughs> and I think that there's a real element of that to this. One thing you see in him is he's not somebody who gives up. He's not somebody who folds. Um, he, he will fight for what he believes in. And I think that that's something that some people like. Now, there are always going to be people who cannot stand Donald Trump. Uh, they don't like the way he treats people. They don't like the way he talks. They don't like that he's that he is a conservative. So, and and that group is not going to change. The question is, who will be motivated in in November during the midterms? And Trump really has to make sure that he keeps his base motivated, because if he loses the House, that means that he's going to probably have to face impeachment hearings. Yeah. Uh, one of the big things he, he got a lot of, uh, of static for was his comments about uh, being wiretapped in Trump Tower, etc. And while that was a little bit of, of a wild, wild exaggeration at the time, now, of course, facts seem to be bearing out part of this. The IG report, the Inspector General report, was pretty damning, but a good deal of the media seemed to take their cue from the no-bias line. Have the Democrats, has the DOJ missed a bullet on this one? Have they avoided this, or is there still more to come as far as you're concerned? You know, Bruce, I'm going to disappoint you here. Just as I never thought there was anything to the Russian collusion story, you can point to a number of things that the FBI did wrong in terms of how they approached the Russia probe. And obviously, we know Peter Strzok was biased. We know that others in the FBI were biased. But... There were, they had cover for why they wanted to look into this. They thought anyway. So I don't think that this is going to be, um, and, you know, I, I sat through um, 
the hearing where Michael Horowitz, the inspector general, uh, addressed the House. And I didn't see them landing any blows either. And, I mean, they they grilled the guy for for a day. And uh, I, either they didn't know how to make a point, which at times it certainly felt that was the case, or or they or or they didn't have the goods. I'm not sure which. Mm. No, I, I just wonder about the FISA stuff. Was, was to me was the most kind of questionable uh, in, in the sense yeah. of presenting material to a FISA court, which they knew they couldn't verify at the time in their haste to to, to get him. And uh, again, this is not over. The IG is still going into other areas, and of course, there is the uh, at the Department of Justice has has the attorney out in Utah, etc. So that part isn't over, but. Uh, uh, certainly, yeah, there, there's, there's mixed messages coming from the two sides as to whether they actually landed a blow. Let, let me clarify one thing, Bruce, because as we speak, Donald Trump has just announced a full pardon for Dwight and Stephen Hammond. These are two Oregon ranchers who had been uh, sentenced for uh, br- these brush fires. It was under it was arson um, on public lands. One was sentenced to three months, the other to a year and a day. Uh, and then federal prosecutors went back to the courts and said, no, we want these guys to go away for five years. And Trump just pardoned them because he thought it was overzealous. Um, so as someone who's covered a number of high-profile federal cases, I see prosecut- prosecutorial overreach all the time. Federal prosecutors are overzealous. So as I, I'm not defending what I'm seeing. I'm just saying, is it something that happens to other people too? And the answer is yes, it does. Mm. You're listening to the full count with Bruce Dobick, and our guest today is noted columnist Deborah Saunders, who's covering the White House for the Las Vegas Review Journal. You mentioned being up front and, and, and covering this thing very close up. You've gone back and forth to Korea, I believe. You went over for for the Korea drama, Singapore, to Singapore, Singapore rather, uh, with the uh-huh. North Koreans, the debate with the North Koreans. Uh, how would you rate his performance in the face of the kind of headwinds that he's faced? <sighs> well, you know, it really depends on the issue. Um, I went on Trump's first trip, by the way, that started in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And I thought what he did there, the way that he flipped the Middle East back into uh, where we're back with the allies we should have as our allies, not not Iran, right? <laughs> yes. um, it, that was brilliant, and that that was something that was just done very much to his credit, and I think it's been very good for for U.S. interests in the Middle East. But uh, then you see the 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 Singapore summit. He, I don't think he's going. I don't think he got out of it what people thought he might get out of it. And I think when he makes comments about, I, I trust him, I think he wants to do the right thing, that's the kind of thing that drives people crazy. It's sort of like looking into Putin and seeing his soul with his eyes, right, which people criticize Bush for. Okay. So, and, there's, and now he's about to see Vladimir Putin one-on-one, which um, I'm not, I just don't understand what that gets him, having a one-on-one meeting with Vladimir Putin. Yeah. So I just I, – I, I, I think that his I'm going to do things differently style appeals to a lot of people. It got us to the table at Singapore, and maybe something will happen from that. We just don't know yet. We see um, some saber rattling going on from Pyongyang. Uh, I've seen some experts say, well, it's not as bad as they usually do, so maybe something (laughs) will come of this, right? Maybe something will. I just don't know. It's just way too early to tell. Um, And the other thing, of course, I mentioned how we have the right allies in the Middle East now. He's about to go to NATO, and 
um, anger our European allies perhaps uh, needlessly. I was there in May when he addressed uh, NATO, and here there was this opening ceremony for a monument to Article 5, which is the um, one for all and all for one part of NATO that says we all protect each other, right? And a memorial to 9-11. And at that event, he starts hectoring the Europeans for not spending enough on their defense. Now, he's a lot of people like that he's done that. I like that he's done that. I think it's been a good thing that he's done that. Don't think that was quite the right occasion. Mm. And now he's going in in the middle of the terror fights as well. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see how this ends. Yeah, the the, the the tariff thing and, and especially the defense thing can cut both ways. Here in Canada, our Prime Minister, Mr. Trudeau, is having lots of problems of his own, but he's able to play the card about the defense spending, etc., and we're doing our best, and Mr. Trump's being unfair, etc. So it's, it, I mean, it's given him a little bit of cover, actually, and I don't know if Trump necessarily understands that when he rattles that particular cage. Yeah, I, and, and um, I... I I'm curious to see how it works out to sort of play off national security and tariffs against each other all the time. Yeah. I'm not sure how that's going to end. Yeah. Uh, Norm MacDonald, the comedian, tweeted out something very revealing on July the 4th. He said, it's time to love your enemies and see many, how many friends it costs you. And I thought that, <laughs> that kind of sums up the mood. But, but there's been a lot of public confrontation of Trump officials and people in restaurants, et cetera, in D.C. and New York. You're there every day. Do you feel that sort of tension in, in on the street and in sitting in restaurants and stuff? Is is there a sense of that kind of tension that people uh, confronting people there? Well, imagine. I mean, this is ground zero for big government, right? So uh, obviously the Washington, D.C. area, while it has a number of conservatives and Republicans who are, are in office and people who work for them, this is a very liberal, big government town. And so a lot of people uh, really do not like Donald Trump, and they want you to know it, and they feel free, they feel free to, um, to treat people just poorly. I mean, uh, it's not, not, not only did people approach uh, Kristen Nielsen, the Homeland Security Secretary, while she's eating dinner and start yelling at her until she left, they went out in front of her house and did that. Stephen Miller, uh, the, the Trump aide who is behind many of the immigration policies the left doesn't like, has been accosted multiple times. And, uh, you know, I think that this is an attempt to isolate the right. And I don't see how that ends well. Uh, uh, you know, people often talk about the need for civility. And when you decide that, you, that people with a different point of view are not worth just treating with respect or, you know, common decency, then it's only going to get uglier. And, and I mean, we have to admit, Donald Trump has had a role in this as well. It, it, he's not exactly blameless here. Yeah. A lot of people, finally, a lot of people sort of take the, the mood of the country, the, the, the temperature of the, company, of the country, rather, from watching the briefings, the media uh, briefings in the, the White House media briefings. Uh, it seems like a boiling kettle there. We, you and I talked about this a year ago. Is, is the mood still that tense, or is a lot of what we see theatrical? Well, first of all, you have to work hard to find the briefings now because there aren't nearly as many as there were a year ago. Yeah. Um, there, there, um, there wasn't one this week. There will not be one because uh, the president addressed people, and when the president travels, they do gaggles on Air Force One 
or something similar to that. So, uh, and basically, this White House is using any excuse that it can use to not have a briefing. Mm. Now, the other, uh, on the other hand, Donald Trump talks to the press a lot. Um, he he taught when, when when pool sprays come in and he's meeting with world leaders. He talks when he's going to Marine One. He talks not every day, not every time, but a lot, and he says a lot of things. I was there in Singapore for that news conference he gave. It was one hour, and he took a lot of questions. He didn't take you know six questions and filibuster them. Um, but back to your briefing question. Most of the people in the room are just there to report, are there to report and do stories. There are a few peacocks who like to have um, confrontational moments on television, which are uh, in keeping with their beliefs, their political beliefs, and good for their careers. And that's not going to change. There, there, there is also, I think, some feeling that the press office could be a lot more forthcoming, and I would agree with that. Finally, if, if, if you can, it's, maybe it's not fair to ask you, but can you give the, the press a grade on how they're covering Trump at the moment? Uh, we, we have lots of grades on how Trump is handling the media. Have you got a, a grade on how, how the media has performed? Because we've had a, a lot of stories that have fallen apart, a lot of people who've, who've had to quit for various reasons, et cetera. Can, can you put a grade on it at the moment? Boy, you know, it's just such a huge group that it's – it's not quite a fair request, and let me explain why, why I say that. Uh, by the way, a lot of those really bad stories you're not seeing anymore. That was in the very beginning when there were leaks galore and you were hearing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, it looks, I mean, I have to tell you, all the leaks about who Trump would pick, they seem pretty well orchestrated from the White House and designed to, to tease and get a reaction. But these were not rogue things where people were leaking stuff. There are some exceptions. There have been, there are some backstabbing in people in the White House who decide that they want to get rid of another aid, a rival aide, and they use the leak to do that. Um, but I think, so, so that's part of the answer. Most of the, if you look at most of the people who are sitting in the briefing room, they're trying to work on, on stories about policy and about the Trump presidency. And they're not just doing the palace intrigue stuff and everything else. And I just see a lot of people working very hard to do that. This is a really difficult White House to follow because there's so much news that you don't know. I can tell you, every day I write a story, I miss two great ones. (laughs) I mean, I should have done that instead. I'm not sure. you You can only write so much because you have to spend a lot of time reporting the, the stories before you write them. Yeah. So I think it's a very difficult task. But um, look, at, when you watch the briefings, you're going to keep your eye on a couple of people, and you're going to think, boy, they're really obnoxious. But um, most of the people there aren't. But, you know, I, I understand why people think what they do. I, I won't tell them they shouldn't. I'll just say that from someone who's there all the time, I, I see people who are really trying to get more information from the White House so we can tell people what's happening. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But, you know, you, you, the idea is to tell people what's going on. And, and this, you know, this president is just so amazing to watch. Yeah. 
So, well, as as somebody you know in the media and has been in the media for a long time, some of it is discouraging, some of it is encouraging, and I don't know uh, how it would be having covered some hot stories over time. Uh, you're right; you were just update, updating the uh, the Oregon ranchers, and I'm sure by the time I post this, this will all be dated because there'll be three other things that'll happen. But there you go. That's exactly. I mean, imagine he imagine a president he picks within within eleven days of uh, Anthony Kennedy's retirement, he's, he's picked the successor he wants. He's presented that person, and the next morning he flies to Brussels, and en route, by the way, he pardons two people in a high-profile land-use dispute. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, it, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you being our eyes and ears there and giving us a little bit of an insight into what you see, because I know it's, it's a little bit of a combat zone you work in, and I appreciate you taking the time today. You think, Bruce? <laughs> I like that. Norm. Thank you very much. You use that Norm McDonald line. That's a good one about uh, reach out <laughs> to your enemies and see how many friends it costs you. You've been listening to The Full Count with Bruce Dobigan. Our guest today, noted columnist Deborah Saunders, who's currently covering the White House for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Don't forget to subscribe to The Full Count on all of our podcasts at iTunes and on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. You can access my columns, my podcasts, and my poetry on that website. Also, I'm now appearing twice a week on Sirius XM Radio Channel 167 Canada Talks. I'm on at noon Eastern Time on Mondays and Fridays. I'll post those conversations on my website, on Twitter, and on my Facebook page. Till the next time, this is Bruce Dove again. Remember, the story isn't complete till it reaches the full count.